Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. Tonight, we take a closer look at the St. Louis Public School District. You know, after 12 years, the Missouri State Board of Education is returning control of the district to the elected school board, effective July 1st. Joining me now, Dr. Kelvin Adams. He is the superintendent of the St. Louis Public School District. Thank you so much for being here, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting it's me. It's always good to see you. Always good to see you. So tell me your reaction when you learned that the school district, the control of the district was returning to the elected school board. So this has been an ongoing conversation with the State Board of Education and the SAB. They made a recommendation approximately a year ago that this would take place. Our training obviously took place and we were working with the elected board in terms of training starting in November, December 2018. So quite frankly, it wasn't a surprise. We have been planning for this, uh, anticipating that it would occur and look to July 1 as the possibility for that happening. So not surprised at all, prepared for it and ready to move forward. So the last 12 years, the special administrative board has been in control of the district. Yes. So what has the board been doing the last 12 years? A good question. I think um, when the board took over, there were three big issues that were outstanding. One, finances, two, uh, academic achievement, and third, this whole notion of governance um, working really well together. So over the last 12 years, the SAB obviously picked a new superintendent, i.e. myself. Uh, they also uh, passed two bonds uh, uh, and uh, reduced the deficit from $66 million to a surplus of $70 million. And the academic achievement has doubled such that the district moved from provisionally to full accreditation. And I think the notion of the bond passing speaks to this whole idea of public confidence. The belief that the district is moving in the right direction, the business community has been very supportive, and the community as a whole has been uh, supportive of what has occurred over the last 12 years. Obviously, a lot of work that still has to be done, a lot of challenges that we face, and SAB has done a great deal to try to address some of those kinds of things. But uh, it's a long-term process, and any board that comes, the new board, uh, working with the superintendent, i.e. myself, hopefully we will continue to work that has started. So tell me about the elected board right now, because as I understand it, all of the original members except one, they're all gone. That is correct. correct? Uh, Donna Jones is the only remaining um, um, elected board member that's in place. All other members are brand new, brand new in the sense that they were not there in 2000, um, over the last 12 years, quite frankly. Uh, most recent election had two new uh, members who start, uh, as a matter of fact, started two weeks ago. Um, and so we're prepared to work with them and do what's necessary to move the district forward. But to your point, all brand new members with exception of one. So when you say that they've undergone training yes. to prepare for this moment, what kind of training? I mean, what so, exactly did they do? So part of the recommendation was that the elected board will go through intense training from the National School Board Association as well as the Missouri School Board Association. They are required to have basically eight hours of training when a new member comes aboard. They've had upwards of 50 hours of training over 
uh, six or seven weekends that they dedicated themselves over Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday to go through that training. We work with them, meaning staff, we do presentations with them. Uh, the entities, Missouri School Board Association, National School Board Association, will go over best practices. How, how do you make decisions? How do you work together as a board? So very intense team building and training has taken place. In addition to that, starting in January, we started having mock meetings with them. So when they started their meetings in January, we had the same agenda that the special administrative board would decide on in January. They would vote, uh, we would do presentations, they would ask questions, we would even do closed session where they would discuss legal matters, personnel matters, um, and other kind of uh, real estate matters. So the, the bottom line is they've gone through a period of time where they've put themselves in a seat to act as if they were the board with the superintendent and with the superintendent staff such that when July 1 comes, it should be a simple process. They know what to do. They know how we manage meetings. They obviously can make changes. They're the board, and we will acclimate ourselves to the changes that they will put in place. Are there provisions in place to prevent some of the issues that led to the point where you had, where the state had to appoint a special administrative board? Uh, excellent question. Again, I've asked, asked that question about the business community as well. We put some structures in place, administratively, if you will, such that we have some things that are lockstep in terms of how we make decisions, how we manage the budget. So the kinds of things that occurred before, uh, basically, it was a matter of not having the data before them. We are, we are focused around looking at data on a regular basis, student achievement data, attendance data, enrollment data, uh, finance data. And so those kinds of data points that we've looked at over the last 10 years and put systems in place, it's, the belief and hope is that they will follow the same kinds of systems. Obviously, they can make any kind of changes they want to, but there's some systems that have been in place. The superintendent and administrative team have been in place for 10 years now, so there's some stability, if you will, in the organization that had historically had not been there. Are there changes that need to be made, in your opinion? Always. There are always are changes that need to be made. Like Finances what? changes, changes that take place. Obviously, uh, a lot of our money, a lot of our budget depends upon state and local financing, and so those things change. We have to look at that. The school numbers that we have, the enrollment continues to be uh, on a decline, about 1 or 2 percent a year, so we have to look at that as the, as the city of St. Louis enrolled. Uh, uh, um, uh, numbers go down as well in terms of what number of persons are in the city. So we have to make those kinds of adjustments. And I think the board has some tough decisions to make. Any board will have to make tough decisions to make around the notion of poverty in our community. How do they address that? Uh, how do they find resources to find social workers and nurses? How do they build more um, commitments and partnerships from the business community and from the community as a whole. So uh, really tough decisions that they have to make. Any board sitting there, whether it's the three members or seven members, will have to make some tough decisions. I am hopeful and believe that they'll bring their skill sets to the table to make those kind of decisions. So how many students are currently in the district? 22,000 students. 22,000 students, and a lot of those students are living in poverty. Uh, approximately 25% of our population is. Some 5,000 students are. Um, I just got an email from my homeless coordinator about uh, making sure that we are addressing preschool kids because quite frankly that's a population that we had not been looking at as close as we're looking at now because they are siblings of children that are already in our school so how do we address this whole notion around poverty and homelessness real challenges that this board this superintendent this community has addressed and, and so what practical practical provisions have been made to make sure that their needs are being met um, Multifaceted. Number one, we provide additional resources, i.e. transportation, to make sure that when kids are identified as homeless, 
taxi services, bus services, all of those kind of wraparound services to make sure we get kids from point A to point B. Uh, and that's number one. Number two, the whole notion of providing resources in the district. We have a whole, whole entire homeless office. Their job is to make sure that the transition takes place well, whether the kid moves to the county and he can still, he or she can still be educated, to make sure that we're providing um, vouchers for them if they need those vouchers for housing, for, for furniture and all of those kinds of things. We have an entire homeless division that that's all they focus on, making sure that those families and those, those children get the kind of resources they need for stability's sake. Because at the end of the day, the kid has to be in a stable environment if he or she is going to do well academically. So how are the students doing academically? Well, I think the most recent uh, tests indicate that we're still in the fully accredited range, uh, but I want to be clear about it. We have a lot of work still to get done. And so from an academic perspective, we have stabilized, if you will, in making some improvement in certain areas. The areas that we are still focused on are math and reading, obviously, and still have a lot of work to get to the state average or the national average. But overall, improvement from the state's perspective, but we know that we still have a lot of work to get done. So what needs to be done? Uh, I think systems around making sure that kids have the resources for reading. We find that many of our kids uh, come to school um, not having enough support at the early childhood level. So we've doubled the number of children in our early childhood environment. But even with that, because of the transit nature of our population, kids are in school for a year, go somewhere else for a year, come back for a year. And so it's constant movement. So we have to make sure we're identifying those kids and providing the resources when they come. So I think the notion for us is trying to make sure that we are equitable in terms of the resources we provide. Not equal, because equal simply means we're giving every single kid what every, everybody else got. So we have to be really um, detailed around making sure as we examine and get data around kids, how we're making sure that that kid in that particular school is getting all of the resources that he or she may need. Maybe different from another school. That's a real challenge when you get equal funding. That's a real challenge in a community that has so many needs. So I think that's some of the kinds of things that we are working on to try to make sure that from a systemic perspective, we're doing that. You did something, you and your staff and parents and students, did something just incredibly remarkable. I mean, to be in charge of a district that lost total accreditation and then to regain full accreditation in an urban school district, that happened. A lot of people were shocked. A lot of people were saying, that'll never happen, but it did. Well, I think um, the truth of the matter is that the parents in the community really made a difference. Um, we work really, really hard to try to provide systems that they can take advantage of such that kids can be successful. But I, I think I, my hat's off to the Special Administrative Board for hanging in there for 12 years, um, supporting the work that the administration does, and this community really rallying around what's best for kids in this community. Could not have been done without that taking place. You said when you first started that you were going to look at the data. Yes. Day in and yes. day out, look at the data. Yes. How big of a difference did that make in this situation? Night and day, really just that simple. Um, I've said privately and I'll say publicly here now at this point in time, there was no reason for the district to be unaccredited from an academic perspective if they had looked closely at the data. Um, 
from a financial perspective, obviously there's some challenges that occurred, but from an academic perspective, part of, the, I think, the challenge was that people were not really looking at the data. They were not really examining data and making decisions around the data. It's one thing to see what the data says. It's another thing to make some decisions around the data. And the Special Administrative Board was willing to do that, whether it's closing 17 schools over the last 10 years or 12 years. They looked at the data and realized that the population was shrinking and had to make some decisions. They could have kept 17 buildings open, would have cost them tons of more money, and obviously not getting to a place where the district has a surplus of about 60 to $70 million. So the data is what we live even today. Every single day we're looking at data, attendance data, dropout data, um, data, data around enrollment, uh, data around the number of African-American teachers in our building, the data around the number of African-American principals. We're looking at that kind of data every single day because we know that that data moves decisions and impacts kids. Tell me about the teachers. Do you have enough teachers that are in the classroom educating our kids? We do not. We have 65 vacancies as we sit here today. We hire some two to 300 teachers every single day. There's a national crisis across this country around teachers. Just yesterday, the State Department of Education was doing a focus group with my district and other districts in the region to find out what they could do to try to tweak this notion of getting more teachers uh, before kids. It is a national issue. Uh, we hire two to 300 teachers every single day. Every single year, there's a diversity issue as well. Our population has declined in terms of diversity. We have an 88% African-American student population, and right now, a 37% African-American teacher workforce. That changed dramatically over the last 10 to 12 years. So how do we get more teachers of color before kids? Because the data indicates that it makes a difference. So uh, we are being trying to be strategic to make sure that we support principals to do a better job of um, really having teachers make commitments early on to stay in our district. Uh, there's some real competition. We have county districts, we have the state uh, of Illinois right across the bridge from us, and so we have all of those kinds of challenges. So we have reduced the number of vacancies that we normally have. We normally have about 85 to 90 at this point in time. We have 60. The intent is that next school year we'll hopefully start with less vacancies than we did this year. I want to talk a little bit more about teachers and what's being done to retain them when we come back. Got to take a break. Stay with us. We will be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. Tonight we are talking with Dr. Calvin Adams. He's the superintendent of the St. Louis Public School District. And Dr. Adams, before we went to break, we were talking about teachers and how competitive it is and how hard it is to get good teachers. Are they still being challenged in terms of what they bring to the classrooms and are they being tested to make sure that their skill set is ready so that when they go before the students that they are teaching them what they should be teaching them? A really excellent question. Um, we are working with our local universities to try to make sure that that is taking place. Whether it's Harrisville University or UMSO, we have been working with them to try to make sure when teachers come out of the, out of the classroom from the um, colleges and universities that they are better equipped. So what we are trying to do is to try to make sure that we provide them support on the front end, meaning that we are giving them opportunities to come in in their sophomore and junior year uh, with temporary jobs, uh, prior to them doing their student teaching and being in the classroom. Additionally, what we find is the data indicates that um, most teachers of color come from alternative programs. So what we're trying to do is to try to develop our own alternative programs. We wrote a proposal to the state to ask them to give us the flexibility to hire our own teachers. That way, we're providing them the support and, and before they before they're ready to teach, before they are really certified teachers. So we are working in a number of different ways. We hired a director of recruiter, recruitment that's really, really aggressive around doing that. In addition to that, charter schools have the ability to have 80% of their teaching uh, force certified and 20% not certified. We have asked for the same kind of 
uh, tweak, if you will, knowing that we have these kind of challenges. Can we have 20% of our teaching workforce not have certification, which means that in the areas of PE and other kind of fields, we might have some of those kinds of people who can work in the classroom, who have a, a, a mindset around working with kids, but necessarily not have a degree. So tell me about pay, because that's always a big issue, and, and rightly so. Um, personally, I don't think teachers get paid enough, but that's just my opinion. So what are we doing to make sure that our, our teachers are compensated well? So zero to five, we are very competitive with almost everybody in the region. After year five, uh, that's a challenge for us, quite frankly. Um, and that's why teachers get their feet on the ground, if you will, for four or five years with us, and then they leave and go to other districts and counties. And so two years ago, we provided raises to teachers for 2.75% for three years, total of about 10%. And obviously the contract is gonna be up at the end of 2020, and we'll be having some more conversations around that. But it's a real challenge, it's a real struggle. Part of one of the things that I know that the board will likely look at, because I'll be talking to them about it, is do, do we still have too many schools? Um, we still have really small schools with small populations, 190 kids, 200 kids. Can we do some more consolidating? And if, by doing that, do we free some dollars up to support uh, uh, teacher raises? So I know that there have been conversations about closing some schools in the yes. St. Louis Public School District. Is that going to happen? I would suspect the answer is yes. Uh, it is my job as a superintendent to bring all of the data to the board, and it's the board's decision, the board's, uh, board's job to make a decision. So I would think from an administrative perspective, it is likely that I will be making some recommendations to the board. Obviously, we'll do our due diligence around getting feedback from the community, from staffs, from parents, or from kids as well before any kind of recommendation would be made. But I would think the answer to that question is yes. Have you started looking? Uh, you know, looking have, you, have you identified yeah. any schools you think will be closed? Uh, I'm looking at areas, quite frankly, whether that's elementary, middle, or high. How do we do a better job? We have 13 high schools. Hazelwood has three high schools um, with, with, with roughly the same number of kids, about 6,000 kids. So you do the math. The bottom line is, you know, we have really small schools and it's not just a dollar issue. It's also can we offer all of the courses that kids may need to take, the AP courses, the IB courses. When it's split with 200 kids in the school, it makes it very, very difficult to do that. So as a practical matter, are we doing the right kinds of things to leverage the resources ourselves before we ask the community to support us? You mentioned earlier that the parents played um, a vital role yes. in helping the district regain full accreditation. Yes. Tell me about that. So how involved are the parents in the um, school district? We have a committee called the PAC Committee, Parent Action Committee, that meets once a month. There are two representatives from every school. Uh, this committee was kind of put in place about five or six years ago. They have been tremendous advocates for the district um, in a way of providing us um, feedback about what the community thinks, in a way of leveraging parents at particular schools, at a way of supporting each other as kids transition from one grade level to another. As a matter of fact, I'm meeting with three of those parents when I go back at 3.30 in the day to talk about this whole notion around transportation. Are we spending too much money around transportation? And frankly, how can they help? How can they carry the message forward to this community that we need to look at that in a different kind of way? So the parents have been tremendous advocates, quite frankly, and we could not have done this without their support. They voted for two bonds, a bond and a tax increase, at about 70%. That doesn't happen unless you have people who think you're doing a good job in the community uh, rallied around us doing that, and quite frankly, that's mostly parents who did that, uh, who supported that. So, of course, safety is a big issue as well. Uh, school districts across the country, not just here in St. Louis. So, tell me from a safety standpoint, what's being done to protect the students and teachers and administrators, everyone in the in the district. So, we have a workforce of about 135 safety and security officers, our own internal workforce, and they have cars and mobile and do all those kinds of things. But it's a real challenge. It's, 
uh, community struggles, quite frankly, with this notion of uh, violence. And so it, it bleeds into our schools. Uh, I don't want to walk away with anybody believing that we don't have challenges every single day in our buildings. Um, but we work really, really hard to try to identify kids who need the support and help, and also to try to remove those kids that we believe in alternative programs. We spend about $5 million a year just in alternative programs, just to make sure that when we remove kid, a kid from an environment, that kid still has the ability to be educated. He may not work in that particular environment. In small settings, that kid may do very well. So we've done that with people like Judge Edwards, who supported us with the uh, Innovative Concept Academy School. Um, with early child education, we have uh, uh, social workers and counselors who support that. We put a ban three years ago on suspending kids from pre-K to grade second. But what we try to do, and we're still working at it, it's a real challenge, is provide them support services like in-school suspension and social workers and counselors to support them. Because the truth of the matter is a kid has pre-K, first and second, really doesn't even know why he or she is behaving that way, and if we could get them some support. So the bottom line is what we try to do is provide wraparound services, support kids who have those issues. But the community itself, um, I think, you know, the challenges, they have to do a better job. We have to do a better job in terms of how we support each other in this community around this whole notion of violence. And, and there are a lot of programs that have been implemented in the district um, to help support the students so that they can continue to thrive. One that I was told about a short time ago is some of the students are traveling abroad? Uh, yes, we have uh, one of our dedicated teachers at Vashon High School started this approximately five or six years ago where she takes kids to Costa Rica. And it started with just at Vashon Senior High School, but now has morphed that almost every high school kid has an opportunity to participate in this program. And it's life-changing. I've talked to some of the kids coming back, and it literally changes their lives because they see the challenges that other people have and, and, and it morphs the challenges that they have. And so they realize, I'm really fortunate. Sometimes kids don't get a chance to see that in a real granular kind of way. And so uh, we have a dedicated staff at Vashon who really started this effort and is morphing to more kids and more teachers and more persons taking advantage of it. So yeah, great, 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 great idea that's really taken off. I think that's incredible because sometimes people, and especially our students, they don't get to go beyond their own neighborhoods or their own communities so they don't get to see that what is else correct. is out there and to realize that the world is really big and you can do whatever you want. And for us, it's about making sure that they have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. What we preach a great deal is opportunities. Give kids opportunities. Yes, there's an yes, um, academic gap that occurs between the kids who have a great deal and kids who don't, but I think the real challenge is there's an opportunity gap. If we make sure that kids have opp opportunities, they will, they will rise to the occasion and do well. Right, opportunity and access. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, so tell me about you, sir. You've been on the national stage and the New York Times and all of this about your accomplishments and the articles have been amazing. What are your plans? What are your goals now? Uh, February 28th, I signed, or 22nd, I signed a three-year contract to continue the work that we're doing for the next three years. And it's my hope and, and belief that I'll finish my career here in St. Louis. My wife told me I can't move in if I wanted to. <laughs> uh, so it's a done deal. It's a done deal. So. Um, it's about the work, you know, it's not personal. I'm, I'm glad that those accolades have come. It's not necessarily for me, it's for the district and the city. Uh, it's not the, uh, uh, New Orleans is where I'm from, it's called, um, you, know, you know, the Big Easy. Um, and so I don't want this city to be the city that to care for God. That's what they say about New Orleans sometimes. And so I just want to make sure that we are giving kids in this region, in this city, every opportunity. All right, got to take another break. Thank you. Stay with us, we'll be back in a moment. Back after this.
Welcome back. Talking with Dr. Kelvin Adams, superintendent of the St. Louis Public School District. You've accomplished a lot of goals. Do you still have goals that you're trying to reach? Uh, most definitely. I think there are three areas that I think are critical to us. Number one, this whole notion around equity. All of our principals and our leadership team is going through training as they did school, all last school year around equity. How do we make sure that we are being equitable in terms of providing resources to kids and families? That's different than being equal. So that's the one big, big goal because it's about mindset. Uh, and looking at diversity and looking at all of those kinds of things. That's number one. Number two, this whole notion around reading. We're working really, really hard to try to make sure we increase the reading ability of every single kid in our building. We targeted, uh, put aside a million dollars this year, just focus around reading so that schools could have resources to look to do that. And one of the things that you brought up, this whole notion of number three, with this mention of making sure that we have qualified staff in every single place. It's a real challenge for this region. It's a real challenge for us. So how do we be intentional around that piece? Those are three big, big, big things that we're working and then you've got plans in place to accomplish those goals, I'm sure? Oh, most definitely. We have action plans. We have a strategic plan called Transformation Plan 3.0, and it's specifically aligned to those three things and two additional things, which is this notion around partnerships and excellent schools, not just a school like Metro that's number four based on U.S. News or CSNB that we started five years ago that's number 12, but how do we make sure that every single school is an excellent school? So you have been superintendent of the St. Louis Public School District for how many years? Ten years. Longer than any other superintendent? I think uh, as of November I will be. That's impressive. Um, I think that speaks to, that stability speaks to the success that we are witnessing. I, with I think, I think there's no doubt about it. Stability of board, stability of superintendent, stability of senior leadership. Most of the persons, are, obviously some have gone on to be superintendents and move on to go to other places, but the core group of persons who have assisted us in this work are still here. Why do you stay? Uh, it's about the mission. It's about making a difference. That's what my life's mission is. I want to make a difference, and this gives me an opportunity to do that in a very real, tangible way. And you're doing it. And thank you so much for thank being you. here today. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for all thank of your accomplishments and what you're doing in the school district. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. I'll see you next time. Nice job. Sir.